I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Hey everybody, this is Richard Deitch, and welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. My producer is Patrick Antonetti, a uh, very big guest this week, you know, one of the most important people in the world of sports media and sports business, ESPN chairman Jimmy Pataro. We go uh, nearly an hour, a little uh, shade over 55 minutes on a variety of topics at ESPN, and hopefully uh, you will find this interesting from ESPN's interest in the Big Ten football rights to where ESPN's interest lies in things like F1, extending with the NPA. Jimmy reveals on here that uh, he would love to get the World Cup back for ESPN, which I think would be pretty fascinating. We talk about ESPN's big NFL deal, do a little bit of on the intersection of sports and politics, and then just what an ideal ESPN might look like in 2027. Um, I think, you know, some news in here. But more than that, I think a very, very broad conversation with Jimmy Pertaro on what ESPN is and, and where he hopes, uh, he hopes it will be. As I say many times at the top, if you like these kind of conversations, head to wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a five-star review and a nice note. That's how, uh, that's how this podcast will continue. I think as people know, it's separate from The Athletic. It's an independent podcast, so very, very important to get that kind of feedback. That has great significance. Without uh, any more delay, let's go to Jimmy Pataro, the chairman of ESPN. All right, as I said at the top, an interview that um, it's a long time in the making and, uh, and I've been looking forward to. Jimmy Pataro, he, he runs a small, scrappy Connecticut sports media company called ESPN. You may have, uh, you may have heard of it. He was um, first named ESPN president and co-chair on March 5th, 2018 after serving as the chairman of Disney Consumer Products and Interactive Media. That title gets upgraded to ESPN chairman in October 2020. Uh, anybody who's listened to this podcast, I think, has an under. First of all, you probably know who Jimmy Pitaro is, and secondly, I think you have an understanding of his job. But in short, like he's in charge of the entirety of all of ESPN's multimedia offerings, from live sports programming to audio, digital, sports news, social, um, and then obviously anything related to um, ESPN Plus and ABC when it when it airs on there. He's ESPN's eighth leader since that company's inception. And I welcome Jimmy Pitaro to the Sports Media Podcast. Jimmy, thank you for joining me today. Richard, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. All right, Jimmy, one of the things I wanted to do is uh, sort of mix in some things that will be of great interest to my listeners who are interested in the business of sports media. In addition to maybe getting to know you a little bit. Because in many ways, a lot of people listen to this podcast, Jimmy, they only know you through your name in a newspaper or on a digital column, or maybe they've seen you on CNBC. So one thing about Jimmy is he's a huge Yankee fan, so much so that he named a childhood dog after Mike Pagliarulo. It's a name from the past there. Jimmy's a big Greg Nettles guy too. Um, you can listen to some other interviews that he's done. He sort of talk about how the number nine, which is Greg Nettles' number, is such an important number for him. 
So, Jimmy, let me ask you this question. There's no way you would have expected this is the first question as well. I can make you the general manager of the New York Yankees tomorrow. You must give up your ESPN job. What do you do? No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't take it. But if I had, I think, any other job on this planet, I, I, I think I would I would say yes. But I, I, I am in the job that I grew up wanting, Richard. So but of course, that is a that is a close second. The GM of the Yankees. I mean, the household that I grew up in, uh, the Yankees were the soundtrack. I mean, if, if they were playing, if they were on during dinner, the, the, the game was on. I mean, let's put it this way. My mom does not watch the game to this day when the Yankees are in the field because her, her theory is nothing good can happen when the Yankees are in the field. So, so you know, our, our family's moods are, are really, they're somewhat dependent on how the Yankees do. And that could be in April and May or June. You know, I'm not talking about just September and October. Uh, so, so, yes, I am a, a lifelong Yankee fan. Uh, and by the way, so my sister happens to be the general counsel of Major League Baseball. I don't know if you knew that, Richard, but... I did know that. Yes. You know, I, I grew up in a sports household, but but, uh, you know, a household that also very much uh, leaned towards baseball out of all the sports. We loved all, you know, we were Yankees, Knicks, Giants, Rangers. But, you know, first and foremost, it was Yankees. My cousin, my cousin actually played for the Yankees. My cousin is Rick Dempsey. Oh, wow. The catcher. The catcher. Yeah. And he, you know, I have photos of, um, you know, him. Uh, saying hello to me at Yankee Stadium when I was when I was just a little kid. Uh, you, this is a, correct me if I'm wrong here. I'm going to try to go back into the archives of my baseball knowledge. Was Rick Dempsey the the guy famously who would run around the bases when the correct. when the Orioles had like a rain delay and he would slide, rain delay yeah and he'd slide into home plate and get himself soaked like this this was like a famous video that got shown yeah, so all the you time can, right if, if you I I, I I've never done this but I'm assuming if you googled Rick Dempsey rain delay or tarp, you know, you would, you would see it. Um, but yes, he would put some stuff under his, his, his Jersey, um, to make him look heavier than he was for some reason. Uh, and yeah, he would run the bases and, you know, dive into home head first and the crowd would go berserk. So, so yeah, I mean, we were proud of that. You know, our family was very proud of the fact that, that, he, he would do those kinds of things. I love that. I mean, listen, he was a respected catcher and played a long time from what, uh, from what I remember. That's yeah, he was, he was the, I, I think, if you had the year right, when the Orioles won 83, he was the MVP of that World Series. Wow. Here, as, um, yeah. uh, as we're talking, Jimmy, I'll do, I'll, do my, I'll do my research in the background. The audience will never know. I'll give MVP of 83 World Series. I believe it was Rick Dempsey. We'll give some Rick Dempsey stats there. You are a data person. You've always talked about that. What is the most important piece of data about ESPN that comes across your desk every week? Well, I mean, this is not that exciting, but, but ratings are important. Um, you know, uh, engagement, time spent, unique users, ESPN Plus subs. Basically, in the aggregate, Richard, it's, it's just uh, how often our fans are engaging with ESPN you know, on a, on a daily basis. And, you know, it, it, I'm sure 20 years ago, the focus was almost entirely on traditional ratings. Fast forward to today, 
and I'm getting regular reports on how many engagements we have on social platforms, how many unique users we have across ESPN digital properties, how many users we have on the ESPN app, how many subscribers, active paying subscribers we have on ESPN+. Plus. So all of those are important. But I, I will tell you that, that traditional television ratings are still very, very important to us. As you know, they, they still get a ton of attention um, from the media. They do. But even beyond that, you know, we have a, you know, a pretty, uh, pretty aggressive sales team that's out in market still doing a fantastic job at selling traditional television. Yeah, you got a really good research person in Flora Kelly. Shout out. To, we do. Shout out to her. By the, Rick Dempsey, 24 years in the major leagues. 1,765 games. That is a phenomenal career uh, for uh, for any baseball player, and particularly for a catcher, given that position. Uh, Jimmy, how many emails do you feel like you average a day? Uh, several hundred. You know, I, I'd say, you know, because you have, you have to remember, Richard, oftentimes um, I'm part of the Disney conversation, right. right? Things that are happening at Hulu, things that are happening at ABC, you know, things beyond just ESPN. So definitely several hundred. And I, I, I do, by the time I go to bed every night, I've, I'm aware of everything. I, 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 I've gotten through every single email. I try to respond to everything. But typically what I'll do is if I can't respond, I live by the unread email icon you know, if I'm staring at my inbox, it'll tell me how many are on red. And those are the ones that I have to get, you know, follow up on. And if I go to bed and I have 12 marked on red, that means there's 12. I haven't, I'm, I'm aware of what they are substantively, but I haven't responded yet. So I may get up a little bit earlier the next morning, grab my coffee and give myself an hour to respond to those 12 or however many emails I have that I've not responded to yet. I, I understand this is uh a question like this isn't always the easiest to answer, but I think it's, I think how you answer it will be interesting. How should someone in your position be evaluated? Yeah. Uh, wow. How much time do we have? As, uh, much as, as much as you want, Jimmy. Look, we, um, from one of my first interviews with, with, uh, with Bob Iger and, and other members of corporate, I, talked about what I thought should be the ESPN priorities. And fortunately, Richard, I spent many years competing against ESPN, as I think you know. And then I spent many years at Disney sitting at the leadership table right next to George and then right next to John. So I was pretty familiar with the ESPN organization, with their strategy by the time I got this job. But, you know, putting that aside... I interviewed over, I don't know, a three or four month period. I think it was three, a three month period for this job. They did not just, I've talked about this in the past, but I'll say it again. They did not just hand me this job. Um, I interviewed many times and I had a lot of time to put together my thinking on strategy, vision, priorities. And as I sit here today, the four priorities that I identified um, during the interview process remain. And when I sit down, I, by the way, I make it clear, I, you know, Bob Iger knew and Bob Chapek today knows what those priorities are. And I expect them to evaluate me based on 
how we're performing in each of those categories. Now, admittedly, some of it is, um, it, 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 it's not objective, it's subjective. Uh, but, you know, we, when, when we um, self-evaluate, uh, when we talk at my staff meetings every single week, you know, the, the North Star or North Stars are those four priorities and making sure that everything we do is connected back to them. And to clarify, make sure I have this correct, those four priorities remain direct to consumer, audience, audience expansion, quality storytelling, programming, and innovation? Well, yes, almost. Qual- uh, quality storytelling and programming, and then innovation. And then I would also say, so those are what we call our vertical, uh, cutting across everything. You know, the horizontal is um, diversity and inclusion. So, you know, you could say that there are five. Um, but we've been consistent on those four or five uh, from the day I got here. This, this may be, um, again, another question that's almost impossible to answer. But like when you are self-evaluating how you're doing, will, like, will you look at it in the way a baseball player or basketball player might look at it? Like I had a better 2021 than 2022 or we re-upped our NFL deal this year. And thus, I feel like m- my performance this year is at a higher level than it might be in another year. Does it get as, for you, I'm talking about sort of self-evaluation, does it get as granular as that, or is it more philosophical, like the company's doing well, people are happy working at this company, we're achieving these objectives that I want to achieve? Yeah, so there are, there are objective um, metrics, uh, numbers that, that uh, we focus on hitting every year, it's, they're put together in collaboration with our finance team, with corporate. Um, you know, we don't, I don't want to get into too many details on what those are, but there are de- definitely objective financial metrics that we focus on hitting. Then there are more, more qualitative factors, other performance factors that uh, are also memorialized. They're put down in writing so that everyone is on the same page every year. And we're focused on hitting those as well. And so, yes, at the end of the year, I will, um, I will be given an opportunity to evaluate myself both on the objective numbers. You know, there's less self-evaluation because they are what they are. Um, so more of the discussion is on the other performance factors. But yes, I'm, I'm given the opportunity to, to tell the ESPN story and, 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 and talk about, to your point, how we performed versus those factors and also to your point how we performed versus the prior year which is really important you know it's 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 a little bit it's clunkier now because for the past few years we've been comparing ourselves to years that are you know are very different obvious for obvious reasons right um, but pre you know pre you know in 2019 and, and prior to that there was a huge focus on year over year comps. And so I think, you know, this year there'll be a little bit more focus. And then next year, I think it'll be even cleaner. All right. There's a lot of topics to get to. And so we'll start to get to them uh, in terms particularly of properties that you have, that you might want to get. I realize you're going to be in some ways uh, a UN diplomat here. You'll only go sort of so far, but I want to ask the questions and, and you'll answer them how you're, you'll answer them. So first off here, um, how would you characterize your interest in wanting Big Ten football rights heading forward? Yeah, look, we, we have a great relationship with the Big Ten. 
Um, they are uh, certainly uh, an, an ascending conference. They had a fantastic season last year. I'm not just talking about football. Um, I have a very good relationship with, with Kevin, their, their, their commissioner. Uh, and they've been a big part of ESPN for a long time now. So we are, it's no secret here. I think if, if, if the commissioner were on this, this, this um, podcast with me right now, he would be comfortable with me saying that we are in, in discussions. That being said, you know, just like every other property, we, we, um, we enter these discussions um, understanding that we can't get everything and that we're going to uh, proceed with both um, discipline and thoughtfulness. Uh, and, and so I can't tell you, Richard, how this is going to play out. We are very much in it right now. That's been reported uh, uh, pretty much daily. Uh, but, but we love the Big Ten. I think everyone loves the Big Ten. They are in a really good position right now. Does your, um, does your SEC deal, and particularly the sort of upcoming football deal, uh, there's a certain amount of inventory, obviously, that will exist at ESPN. Will that or does that impact whatever your interest is in the Big Ten and whatever your future interest might be in the Pac-12? Because you do have this major conference where you, um, I mean, I think at least my listeners would know, you're adding, a, if nothing else, the showcase game on Saturday that CBS has done for a long time. Yeah, so just in case, in case anyone doesn't know what the heck we're talking about here, uh, in 2024, we will um, add on to our game inventory that uh, SEC first pick every week, uh, which uh, has been the, uh, the, the 3.30 broadcast window on Saturdays. Uh, in addition, we'll have the, uh, the conference championship game um, we'll get an additional nine marquee SEC basketball games. We secured, I don't know if we've talked about this uh, publicly, but, it's, it, but it, we might as well now. We may have, I, I can't even recall, but we'll have one uh, out-of-conference SEC football game per team per year. Um, so, you know, once Texas and Oklahoma are in, We'll have 16 um, games, out-of-conference games, one per team, starting uh, with the uh, – well, with Texas and o Oklahoma, it would be starting with the 25 season. So in the 24 season, it would be 14. So, so that's the deal that we struck, I don't know, about a year and a half ago with, with the SEC. Uh, the, 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 the great thing about that deal, Richard, if I had to summarize it with one word, it would be flexibility. Meaning that, yes, we're now going to have a, a marquee game at 3.30 on, on broadcast on, on ABC. But we also have the ability to put marquee games um, Saturday night on ABC. We're going to have SEC games um, across ESPN and across ABC for all three windows on, on Saturday. And, and I think, I think if, if Commissioner Sankey were on this on this podcast right now, he would say that they're really excited about um, being partnered with, with one enterprise where we can create that kind of flexibility. Um, so we're really looking forward to that. But just getting back to your, to your question now, Richard, uh, look, 
is there is there less inventory? Of course there is because of you know when this SEC deal kicks in in 2024. However, we we've been very thoughtful about this, and there's still plenty of room uh, for. Uh, Big Ten and and Pac-12, and you know we're pursuing both. Like I said, with discipline, but we are absolutely pursuing both. So each each conference deal is handled on a case by case basis. But no one should misinterpret when we did this SEC deal. No one at ESPN said, okay, that means we're walking away from another conference. That that conversation never happened. Uh, Jimmy, I would love to get these uh, commissioners on. I don't have the operational budget on this podcast that ESPN does, so it's just going to have to be you. All right, I'm going to let me segue. No easy segue here, but let's segue to sports gambling. And this is obviously something that um, you, you've been asked about and will be asked about, uh, I think, quite a bit heading forward. Um, you're navigating the space like every other company, but you have a massive advantage in this space in that you're ESPN, your most dominant brand in the United States when it comes to sports that makes you very attractive. It also um, brings up questions, Jimmy, about um, presentation, investment, consumer interface when it comes to sports gambling. So let me ask a broad one here. Um, How do you see presentation, investment, consumer interface through ESPN's properties? How could that change or develop in the upcoming years. And then let me ask you, I'm not supposed to double barrel here. John Sawaski would not be happy. But um, I am curious just how you as the chairman of ESPN feel about real-time odds appearing on your airwaves, meaning like I'm about to watch uh, Auburn, Alabama, and literally right before the game, it's telling me exactly what the real-time odds on multiple things for me to bet on. Okay, so I'll start with the fact that we've been in this space for a while now. This is not new to us. Uh, We have had podcasts. um, We have had segments on SportsCenter, I think starting with Scott Van Pelt, the Midnight SportsCenter with Bad Beats. We uh, have had dedicated, have dedicated sections of our .com. We have um, shows that are airing, studio shows that are airing, specifically focused on betting, um, like Daily Wager. We have a branded studio in Vegas on the Strip in partnership with Caesars um, that we're shooting out of, you know, with, with all that content betting focus. Anyway, I can go on and on here. We closed, we closed deals uh, a little while back with both Caesars and DraftKings. Uh, we call them link out deals where we are providing contextually, contextually relevant links to third-party sites, uh, sites trying to take the friction out of sports betting. So if you're on a specific .com page uh, and you want to place a bet next to, you know, as you're consuming a box score, you know, we're trying to make that as, as easy as possible. We also, to your, to your point before, Richard, we have, uh, you know, an official odds relationship as well so that we are, you know, putting odds on our, on our networks now. In terms of how far we're going to go with odds, that's that's TBD. I mean, we're we're already doing it, you know, around games. We've had, I think you know this, Richard, but we've had alternative broadcasts that are focused specifically on betting. We've done it on the NFL side, you know, with, with uh, um, the nomenclature being between the lines. Uh, we've done we had we've had an NBA alternative broadcast that's that's betting focused. Uh, I think you're going to, well, I know we're going to be doing more 
and more of that. So the question for us is, what's next here? Like, is, is, there, is there the next frontier? And here, here's what I will tell you. We think that there's, this is a growth opportunity for us. We think we, we can potentially be doing more. We've done, and I have talked a little bit about this, not a ton, but what I'll tell you is we have done the research and it wasn't too long ago where folks were really concerned about what us being more aggressive in this space would mean for our brand or for our brands. And I will tell you that the research has come back and said, uh, it's somewhat neutral on the Disney brand. It's not going to help. It's not going to hurt. But on the ESPN brand, uh, it's, it's not just okay. It's important. It's something we need to be doing. It's something that our fans are expecting from us. So it's not a nice to have. It's, it's, it's pretty much at this point a must have. And again, to my earlier point, that means we need to be uh, serving the sports fan with what they're expecting and, and, and taking the friction out of the process. In terms of what that means for us and what's the next step, I, I, I can't tell you. I will tell you that we are looking at, you know, we, we, we have opportunities to partner with different folks um, and, and be a bit more aggressive in the space. Uh, but we're, we're just not there yet. We're, we're, again, going back to my point earlier on thoughtfulness, we are being very thoughtful here. Uh, we have to get this right. Uh, and we, uh, if we do, we think, like I said before, that there's, there's, there's a growth opportunity for our business and for our p and I appreciate you answering that. So um, maybe this was reported, but, uh, you know, in doing my research, the, the deep research on you, Jimmy, I was told that uh, you attended the Miami Grand Prix in early May. Is that correct? I, yeah, I did. I, I literally, I was there for some business meetings. You know, I, I, I didn't okay. have an opportunity to really take in the full day because I unfortunately uh, had, had something the next day that I had to be back for. So I was kind of in and out. But yes, I was there. Okay. All right. So this, now, now my question has been a little more modified here, but we'll, we'll, we'll ask it anyway. So my thought was, if you were there, you saw up close firsthand the glitz and glamour of this product. It is, you know, in the nomenclature, a very, very sexy product if you are there in person. You've done a great job with that property. And obviously the Liberty people have, you know, it goes without saying what kind of job that they've done in terms of the interest uh, here. It's been reported. This is not a surprise that ESPN is interested in continuing its uh, relationship with F1. What I was going to ask you is, did that experience impact um, how you feel about the product? And did it, I don't know, did it give it to use a, a racing term, a little more gas in terms of your interest in, in being a partner long-term with F1? Absolutely. I mean, look, it, it just kind of solidified things for me. You know, we were already very interested in continuing this relationship. But yes, being there, I, I'd never been to a Formula One uh, race before. Uh, I did grow up uh, in, a, in, a, in a household that was passionate about motorsports as well. Um, but I'd never been to a Formula One race. So it was a fantastic experience. I wasn't just in a conference room the whole time. You know, I, I was out there. Uh, and it's amazing. It really is an amazing experience. Uh, I highly recommend it for anyone who has not been to one. But yeah, look, we are we are very interested in in extending our our, our deal with them. 
uh, and kind of finishing what we started here. Uh, it's been a great run. You've seen it, you know, going back to our conversation a few minutes ago on, on ratings. Um, the ratings have been off the charts great. This is definitely an ascending property. We believe it'll continue to ascend. We have Vegas coming up, uh, which we're really excited about. Uh, and, you know, kind of similar to what I said before about Big Ten, we're in the thick of it right now. We're, we're in conversations. The Liberty guys are fantastic. Stefano is fantastic. Uh, we're, we're, we very much, I'm, I have no problem saying, we very much want to stay in this business. But again, like everything else, you know, we're, we're, we're going to be disciplined here. Uh, and uh, we're, we're going to model this out and, and figure out what it's worth. And then, and then once we do that, we're going to be as aggressive as we can. But we take a lot of pride in, in helping to grow the property. Of course, Netflix has contributed in a very significant way. Uh, and, and we love that. It's rising tide for everyone. Uh, but we do take a lot of pride in, 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 in how this has gone on our own airwaves. And then the last thing I'd say, Richard, is we love the, the direct-to-consumer, the ESPN Plus component here. Um, so if we were to move forward, we would love to, um, to do something in that capacity to the extent that, that they're open to that. Hmm. You would, would you still have, in your idealized mind, would you still have it on, on ESPN yeah. proper in addition to ESPN yeah, Plus? Yeah, ESPN and ABC. Or ABC. Correct. Yeah, of course. Okay. All right. I do want to get, there's two more sports I want to hit, but one just quick one here. This is, uh, um, this is something when I knew you were coming on, I wanted to ask you uh, because it's interesting to me. And I think it's, I think ESPN's history in this sport is phenomenal. Um, your predecessor, John Skipper, loved global soccer. He made no sort of uh, secret of that. I think he's a Tottenham fan. He, um, he always talked about the importance of soccer rights and, and maybe in some ways was ahead of the curve on that, just given where the uh, uh, direct-to-consumer is now. Personally, Jimmy, sort of, by the way, tells you I've probably been writing this stuff for too long. I think ESPN's coverage of the 2010 World Cup in South Africa is one of the best things the company's ever done. It's on my short list. Probably OJ Made in America's up there. I have my own, you know, you're going to have your list. I have my own sort of list of the best things ESPN's ever done. I consider that coverage in my top five. It was incredible. Um from both the covering of the soccer to really getting in, um, to really giving American audiences a idea of what South Africa was, is, and could be. It was phenomenal. I, I, by the way, um, Richard, I will make you, sure that the team, if they don't listen to this podcast, knows that you feel that way. Obviously, yeah, I, yes. I, I can take zero credit for that. I was that long predates me, but I will make sure that the folks who were involved know that you feel that way. Please do. It's an ama- it was an amazing. It was an amazing operation for a sports media company, at least for from my perspective. You've acquired a lot of foreign rights in soccer, and a shout out to Burke Magnus, obviously, in that group for doing that. Fox owns the World Cup rights, as you know, but one day there will be a time when that comes up again. It would seem to me, Jimmy, there is a natural fit between ESPN and the World Cup with your ambitions, with your international business, and just the fact that I think you have a big DNA in soccer. I get that it's someone else's property, but I would like to ask you philosophically, if those rights came up, how, how you see it, would you be interested? Do you think it would fit into Ab- ESPN? Absolutely. Hard stop without any reservations. Uh, if they were coming up for the next World Cup, I, I would say the same thing. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. 2026. <laughs> right. Right. 
but that actually wasn't my point. But yes, of course, even if they were, you know, we would, we would be all in. Um, it's, a, it, it's a fantastic game. Uh, I agree with everything you just said. Uh, and yes, Burke's team has done a fantastic job at acquiring uh, really, really great international rights that have moved the needle for ESPN Plus and really helped us get to where we are right now. I think soccer is part of the identity today of ESPN Plus. If you're a soccer fan, uh, you pretty much have to have ESPN Plus. Uh, but yeah, we're, we're all in on the sport. And the answer to your question is yes. We, whenever they're ready to talk, we're ready to sit down with them. Appreciate that. All right. Uh, I have something, a couple of things on the NBA and the NFL, and then a couple other quick ones, and then we'll finish up. Um, the, I don't have to tell you this, Jimmy. The NBA is content haven for ESPN programming. It, it is a sport that now is discussed, I would say, 365 days a year on at least some medium or platform that you guys are part of. Um, it has young demographics, ideal demographics. It, it, people who are interested in the NBA are um, streaming as part of their life. They grew up with it. it. It sort of fits into, obviously, it has a lot of really good demos. Your rights and Turner's rights go through 2024, 2025 season. Um, do you see any scenario where ESPN would not have a portion of that contract given your long history and I think what you've done for the sport as well as what the sport has done for you guys? I sure hope not. I mean, it's, it's, it's an, to your point, it's an incredibly important property for us. Uh, we, we also see that property as ascending. Uh, younger demographics, uh, right now they have, I think, more parity than we've seen in a long time. Uh, we see young stars who are starting to catch on in the zeitgeist. Uh, we're incredibly excited about the NBA. We also like what we've done. You know, we're very happy with our, with our team, uh, both in front of and behind the camera. I'm talking games. I'm talking about um, our studio programming. Uh, pretty much across the board, uh, we're, 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 we're pretty happy with where we're at today. That being said, do we need to continue to innovate? And, and Adam and I have talked about this. Yes, are, you know, are, are these alternative broadcasts that we've done solid? They absolutely are. Do we need to be doing more of them? Do we need to be thinking about more innovation around the primary broadcast? We do. So we can't just sit idle here and be complacent. We're seeing pretty strong numbers uh, I, I know that there's some discussion around the comps to 2019, but we're very pleased with, with our numbers uh, for the NBA finals, especially when you compare them to, to the past two years. Uh, our sales team has been very happy with, with our ratings performance. So we're, uh, we're, 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 we're looking at a great, we're, we're, we have a great relationship with the league uh, and I really, really want it to continue. Now, we have some time here. To your point, we still have three seasons left here. So, you know, there's, there's no urgency, but we absolutely would like to extend our, our partnership with the NBA. The, the, an excellent interviewer, Peter Kafka of Recode, uh, asked you this in 2019. I'm going to ask the same question in 2022. Can you see the NBA taking some of its most valuable stuff and selling it exclusively to an online outlet? 
to a to an Apple or an Amazon or well, well we hope that's us. Places. You know, when we sit down when we sit down with the league, <laughs> right? Uh, we hope that they're open to us having ESPN Plus as as a part of that conversation. By the way, not just ESPN Plus; it could be Hulu as well, as as you know we, we did with the NHL. Uh, but could I foresee them bringing other partners to the to the table? Of course, I, I I could. You know, if you look at what Apple and Amazon are doing right now, they're they're bidding and they're acquiring rights. So I, I'm assuming that they're going to be part of the NBA discussion, just like they're they've been a part of the NFL and and MLS discussions and and, and others. So I would not be surprised if they acquire some, but but. Like I said, like we're all in on the NBA, and we we certainly will be bringing ESPN Plus to the conversation when the time is right. Go, uh, you know, Jimmy. I could do an entire podcast with you on the NFL, but so I, but I will I will keep it to 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 one thing here. Those of us who've written for a long time used to joke that if the ESPN ever got a Super Bowl, you guys would do a ninety six hour pregame show. You know, it's sort of the running joke is like, oh man, if these guys ever got a hold of this, like no one will do pregame. And pregame meaning like not just before the game, but like maybe a week or two or five before the game. Uh, you and now are part of the Super Bowl rotation. It is a really huge feather in your cap and in the company's cap. Uh, for the layperson who's listening to this podcast, Jimmy, like how important is it to be part of that rotation? I mean, ESPN's had the NFL for a long time. You have Monday Night Football. You have a premium product. But it's always felt like something like, I don't even know. I don't want to sort of overstate it, but having talked to a lot of ESPN executives in the past, it they, they always felt a little less than because the other people in the rotation had the most important game of the year. Now you guys have the most important game of the year. So what does that mean from your perspective? Well, I'm glad you brought that up because that was exactly what I was going to lead with here. Morale. It, 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 and obviously that's not the only reason why we acquired the rights to uh, to two Super Bowls in, in in our next deal, but it is one of those intangibles, one of those benefits. Uh, yes, I do think that our employees were confused by the fact that we had these rights. We were, you know, we were um, really prioritizing Monday Night Football from a production perspective, from an investment perspective, and I think yes, I think folks saw the numbers that were reported publicly in terms of what we were paying and, and folks were internally confused. Um, and so fast forward to, to today and our NFL team could not, could not be more excited. I mean, look, it, it, it's, it's huge for us. We all know what the, what, what the household rating is uh, for, for the Super Bowl, but it's just, it's just beyond that. It's about us just being more, um, you know, our, our, it's about us, expanding the partnership that we have with the league and the league saying back to us, um, we, you know, just like you value the partnership, we very much value the partnership. And so, so there are the intangibles, Richard. And then of course there are the tangibles, right? If you were to talk to our sales team, they would tell you that, yeah, we're going to, we're going to bring this to our existing sponsors, but, this is an opportunity for us to bring in new advertisers and new sponsors to the, to the discussion. So they're incredibly excited about the opportunity, but at the macro level, you know, th this, this game is of course, it's, it's always in the zeitgeist and for us to have NFL rights, but to not have that game 
it, it, yeah, it hurt. It, it hurt a bit internally uh, at, at, at ESPN. So we're we're pretty excited about it. But, you know, it was just one component, a really important component, but one component of our of our deal with the league. We, we, we did get, you know, the divisional game. We got an ESPN plus international game. You know, what doesn't get a lot of attention is the fact that we got flex as a part of this deal, which was something that was really important to us. And we made that clear to, to Roger and Brian and team from day one, that flex for Monday nights was, was really important. So we're able to secure that. We got significantly more, I think over 30% more games. We have, you know, the week 18 uh, uh, games that have playoff implications, you know, those two Saturday games. So we're, 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 we're thrilled with this deal. Thrilled. And, 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 you know, we have, we have new talent on board now. Um, we loved our existing booth. They'll continue to call, to call games. But as you know, we have Joe and Troy on board now. Yeah, so we're, we're pretty excited about it. Jimmy, uh, we've gone about uh, 39 minutes. Are you good for eight more minutes? Absolutely. Thank you. Okay. Well, let's mention this because you, you, you just brought it up in terms of your new Monday Night Football booth, Joe Buck and Troy Aikman. Um, Jimmy, boy, there really hasn't been a lot of writing about the NFL transactions this offseason, has there? I re- it's been hard for me to, 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 to find stories. Um, any of us, Jimmy, who've written in this space for a while, like myself, and obviously the, the other people who, um, who cover this stuff, who I think everybody on this podcast knows, um, we talk to executives like yourself. We talk to agents. We talk to talent. And one of the things that's really interesting to me is that at a certain when, – when a deal becomes a, a – how do I phrase this? When it's a certain level of deal, whether that's financially or whether the, the person who is the on-air presenter is well-known, many times that's when someone in your position might be involved. And so Troy Aikman was on this podcast and said very nice things about you and just in meeting you and, and how important it was for him to – feel like he could have a conversation with you. I know before Adam Schefter signed, you guys sat down in a diner somewhere in Connecticut and, and that helped his thinking in terms of where he wants to go. So I wonder if you can just sort of give me a sense as to like when and why you personally become involved in talent negotiations because you have a talent office and there are people who are charged with this. But the reality is whether it's John Skipper or Sean McManus or Jimmy Pitaro, there are deals when you get involved. And I, I think as much as you could say, I just think my audience would be interested in this because at your level, sometimes you do come into that kind of, uh, that kind of deal. I do what I can to let our talent team do their jobs. And they're really, really good at it. And I'm just going to be completely honest with you. Sometimes when I get involved, it complicates things. And it's a game of telephone where folks hear me say one thing and it's, and it's, um, it's either misinterpreted or, or conveyed in a different way to our talent group. And so me getting involved is actually not helpful. That being said, I, ha- I do have relationships with, with almost all of our talent. And I also, you know, my background, I was a lawyer and then I was a deal guy. So my background um, is, I, I don't... I don't know how to say this. I, I, I can be helpful here, uh, but, but it's for the most part, me saying to our talent, me saying to agents who I also know and have very good relationships with, 
You need to work with our talent department because, and I'm talking about, to your point, Richard, specifics, deal negotiation, um, deal points, dollars and cents. It's just better if that stuff is left to our talent department so that there's no person getting involved that's going to confuse or complicate things. Now, of course, there are times, there are exceptions to that, um, but it's very rare where I'm actually speaking to talent or even an agent and talking dollars and cents. Like it is definitely the exception rather than the rule. Now, that's today. When I started four and a half years ago, I, I, I was more involved. I, I, was, I was, you know, part of it was I was learning. Part of it was I was trying to add value. But as the months and years go by, you start to uh, trust your folks more. You get to know your folks more. Um, and also have experiences where you realize that you may not necessarily be helping things by getting involved. But it's a tricky, it's a tricky balance because you never want to say to a talent or an agent, you can't talk to me. Like, I hate that. One of the things that I pride myself on is being accessible. You know, and, and I've learned this from many of my bosses and mentors over the year. Uh, like, if someone wants time with me, I'm going to make myself available. You know, and that, again, that's tricky because if you make yourself available and you start to, to have these in-depth conversations, things can get complicated quickly and you could actually not be doing your talent department a service. So that's a long way of saying that I really do try to remove myself from the negotiations and let our talent team do what they're hired to do. And they're really good at it. Uh, it's a very sports radio question for you, Jimmy, but you, you, your Monday night football booth is the, is the previous number one booth for Fox. Do you expect Eric Shanks to try to swipe some of your talent because you have swiped two of his big talents? By the way, Eric, Eric was great throughout the process. I just want to say that the Fox team was great. Uh, from, from my perspective, Richard, this was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Uh, when, 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 when folks like Joe and Troy become available uh, with the chemistry they have, with the, with the experience that they have, uh, especially together, it was just something that we really couldn't pass on. But we worked it out with Fox. They got something in return. <laughs> That's been reported on. Uh, <laughs> right. So, you know, but I, again, they were, they were class acts every step of the way. And I haven't seen or heard or read everything that Joe and Troy have said about this. But from what I have seen, I think they felt like um, this was handled very professionally by, by Fox. Yeah, uh, yeah, and, and for, certainly Joe has said that. Uh, Troy's sort of a little more complicated, but yeah, yeah, I think by and large what you're saying is is fairly true. All right, um, the two last things here, and again, Jimmy, I, I appreciate your time. You've you've gone long with me, and I thank you for that. Um, this is something that uh, you know it's 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 a big uh, in many ways a massive challenge for people in your position. It's a massive challenge for people who run the Washington Post or the New York Times company or NBC or whatever. Um, and I think you know where I'm going. The intersection of sports and politics and navigating that as a company. When an individual employee wants to offer commentary as a citizen, this is a big challenge. You've said there's a line in your, you know, in sort of both your opinion as well as I guess sort of speaking for ESPN, 
There's a line between when points of view are conveyed respectfully versus disrespectfully as it relates to um, ESPN employees. You know, again, you've said what we don't want is people to tune into ESPN or people to tune into an ESPN feed on a social platform and get pure political commentary. We that's we don't believe that's why people tune into ESPN. So in my remaining time here, uh, and I have one more question after this, but just like, how does the company know what that line is? And then se- the second part of this, Jimmy, is you're a bright guy. We are in a very politicized time with a massive election coming up in November. And so how do you try to navigate this terrain when the forces outside of your own company are, are really politicized and really divided? Yeah. So look, these are complicated times and there's no science here. There are no easy answers. What I will tell you, Richard, is that our mission is to serve the sports fan. That, that hasn't changed. That long predated me. Serve the sports fan anytime, anywhere. And that's hard. It's hard to do that. It's hard to meet consumers' expectations on a daily basis across platform. We're the place of record. When something happens in the sports world, people tune into us. They trust us. You know, if you look at our brand research, uh, the love and trust for our brand has actually gone up during the pandemic. And we feel really good about that. We take a lot of pride in that. But with that comes even higher expectations. And so our mission remains to serve the sports fan. Now, to your your point, uh, there's an intersection between sports and politics, sports and society, sports and culture, whatever it might be. And we've been consistent here that we're going to cover that intersection. I think the difference now is that that intersection is happening every day. And, and so we're trying to strike the balance here and make sure that, that we're still serving our fans' needs. We're meeting their expectations. On top of that, what I would say is we're not perfect. Um, you know, we're, we're going to make mistakes There are times when things are going to be said on our air or on social platforms where there wasn't complete internal alignment and we regroup, we learn, we try to, we try to get better because of that. We like to say over here a little bit better every day. And I think we are better today than we were yesterday over the past few years. We've learned a ton and it hasn't always been easy. And are there times when our talent have um, veered away from sports on our air, on, on, on our platforms, they have. But from my perspective, from leadership's perspective, a lot of this has been not about politics. It's been about humanity. And, and for us, we have our values, Richard. And if our folks are speaking um, from the heart, consistent with our values, we're okay with that. Uh, now, again, with them understanding, with our producers, the folks behind the scenes, understanding that we can't lose sight of the fact that we're here to serve the sports fan. And again, that in and of itself is really, really hard. To be good at this is, is, is hard enough. Um, so, so that's kind of a, a summary of 
where we've been and where we are today. I hope that that addresses your, your question. I appreciate that answer. Uh, final question, Jimmy, unless you want to uh, announce here that uh, you signed LeBron James uh, whenever he retires for $40 million a year to be an analyst on, uh, on ESPN. Uh, I, I did see, I did see that he's, 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 he's interested. <laughs> he's interested in a podcast. Yeah. I know that. So get on yeah. that, Jimmy. That'd be a good guy to bring in. Um, all right. You know, one of the things that's amusing to me, when anybody ever talks to you, they're always trying to pin you down. Jimmy, when is the faucet going to turn from uh, linear to direct to consumer? Everybody wants you to, um, to sort of give a time, give a date. So I intentionally did not ask you any of these questions because I've heard your answer on this many times and you're not giving a date. So I want to try to ask it a different way here. And this is the last question. You've spoken often about the sustainability of running a parallel path and being multiple things to consumers at the same time. That is essentially what ESPN is now. So you're balancing declines in cable subs, but still a phenomenally big business and a a money business with big increases to ESPN plus and a growing direct to consumer business. So understanding that I'm asking you to play crystal ball and hypothetical here. Thinking about ESPN in five years from now, Jimmy, what would an ideal ESPN look like in 2027? The reason you don't have a date on what I think you're, you're referring to flagship direct to consumer is because we don't have one. Right. It's that simple. We don't have one. I, I would, I would say I can't talk about that if I couldn't talk about it, but it existed. We don't have a date. And the reason why we don't have a date is because these parallel paths that you're referring to are going quite well for us today. Yes. The traditional ecosystem has been very valuable to us and today remains very valuable to us. At the same time, we are investing in direct-to-consumer, ESPN+. And I think on the last earnings call, we announced 22.3 million subs. That's significantly ahead of where we thought we would be at this point. So the rights that we're acquiring for Plus, the content that we're creating for Plus, the library that we've accumulated, that we've put up exclusively on Plus, for example, 30 for 30, the only place to get the entire 30 for 30 library is ESPN Plus. That's all working. So again, these two paths, they make sense to us because we have on one side, folks who are still very much engaged with DirecTV or Comcast. And we need to be there. We need to be serving them. We also have fans who are consuming sports content on their phones, on their tabs. So if you want to authenticate, you can get flagship. You want to enter your your NVPD credentials or you want to subscribe to a digital NVPD like Hulu Live, you can consume on your phone or your tablet. Uh, And, you know, we'll continue to acquire rights that enable us to continue to advance both of these platforms, meaning traditional and digital. And if you look at the eight or nine deals that we've done over the past two years, and Burke's team really has, you know, had, a, had, a, had an amazing couple of years. I think it may be the best stretch in the 43-year history of this place, just in terms of rights acquisitions. The common theme here is acquiring content for traditional and digital. And, and that's going to continue because we see both 
working for us today. Now, to your question, 2027, what's it going to look like? I don't know if we're going to have flagship available. I can't say we're not. I can't definitively say we are. We're looking at these numbers on a month-to-month basis. And you know, our commitment to the sports fan is that we're going to continue to follow you. And as the sports fan moves more and more to a digital platform, a direct-to-consumer platform, you're going to see us moving more and more content that way. But today, having these two these these two properties, both traditional and 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 digital, it just makes sense for us. Jimmy, uh, you've been incredibly generous with your time today. Uh, thank you. Your beloved Yankees are on pace for like 116 or 117 wins. Uh, I think you know I live in Toronto, so while we will not see you in the top of the division, I I, I believe my Blue Jays will eventually see you in the AL championship. By the way, Toronto is scary. And yes, while the Yankees are, I think, 10 games up on they them are. right now, yes. uh, I, you know, that only means so much because if we have to face Toronto, uh, I, you know, in a, in a short or long series, like, I, I, I don't know, that, that makes me nervous. It should because when, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Yeah, has not really hit yet. So that's going to come. The Blue Jays will have to acquire another pitcher against the the ridiculous Yankee starting staff. Uh, listen, Jimmy Pitaro, as I think everybody knows who's listened to this, is the chairman of ESPN. A really incredibly generous with his time. Went close to an hour. This is not something he does frequently. Jimmy, thank you very much uh, for your time, and um, and I, I wish you the best heading forward. Thanks so much for joining me today. You got it, Richard. Sports Media Podcast. Appreciate it. See ya. All right, back in the studio. My thanks to Jimmy Pitaro. The chairman of ESPN gave me a lot of time. Absolutely did not have to go that long. And I hope that was informative for the audience. There were obviously things, uh, you know, I wish I could have gotten to had I had another hour or so. But to uh, to get Jimmy Pitaro for that long, try to go as comprehensive as I could. And, and hopefully I succeeded more than I failed. But uh, but I appreciate his time and, uh, and him coming on today. If you like these kind of uh, conversations, head to the... Uh, Head to the archives page. Last couple. Conversation with Michael McCann. He's a legal analyst and senior sports legal reporter for Sportico. Also professor of law at the University of New Hampshire's Franklin Pierce School of Law. We got into a lot of the legal issues that are going on right now from um, uh, Deshaun Watson, uh, Jack Del Rio, uh, college uh, athletes uh, attempting to be compensated more. A lot of interesting stuff there. Prior to Michael McCann. ESPN NHL reporter Emily Kaplan, a very honest conversation with her about switching from writing to television and uh, both the positives and negatives that have come with that. Pride Emily Kaplan, founder and CEO of Just Women's Sports, Haley Rosen. And before that, a uh, couple of uh, non-sports podcasts, uh, Edward Keenan, the Toronto Star, and covering America through a foreign uh, prism. He's the uh, Toronto Star's Washington bureau chief. And John Woodrow Cox. The, probably the foremost reporter, uh, expert reporter, at least on uh, the topic of the impact of gun violence on children. Um, and uh, we had a 50-minute, very sobering conversation there. Again, if you like these conversations, head to the Richard Deitch uh, Sports Media or Sports Media Richard Deitch Archives page and uh, leave us a five-star review and a nice note if you like this. Want to uh, thank uh, my uh, producer Patrick Antonetti. Did a great job, a lot of work on this one. Thanks to Cadence 13, and thank you for listening. We'll see you soon. Sports Media Podcast.